When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. I think it's so much a copycat league that nobody wants to try to anything new because when it fails, everybody, you feel like, oh, I'm going to get fired. If you do what everybody else is doing, you might be able to keep your job. If you try to be different, the chance of you being successful are probably slim, so let's just keep doing what everybody else is doing. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VEASAN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Michael, we have made it to week seven. Uh, crazy it, how quickly time flies. It, it's going way too fast. <laughs> it it's really going is. way too fast. It it's really, really going way too fast. It's like, you know, when your grandchildren are growing up too fast. It's like, slow the <laughs> hell down, please. Like, let me just enjoy this, you know? <laughs> And, and each day it ticks further and further. I mean, no, I'm just thinking about, oh, what are we going to do in March? I can't talk about oh, hockey. No, no, Holy Christ. No, no, uh, no, no. So, yeah, I mean, it's just going way too fast. It's fun. I mean, the weeks yeah. fly by. I told you, when you are on a schedule, the weeks just go by. And it's so much fun. I'm really enjoying it. It's such a great season. But, you know, we'll just keep soldiering on here. Yeah, I and mean, well, the way that the league has the schedule structured, it's like you, you only go about two days without football because you get Monday, then you get Thursday, then you get Sunday, and then once we get later on, we're going to start getting Saturday games. We're going to get a Black Friday game. Like, like we don't have that many days to where we're actually not having a football yeah. game, so that's why it just kind of compounds, and it feels like we're just like on this snowball going downhill, and all of a sudden it's like we're going to wake up and it's going to be Thanksgiving, uh, which is about a month away, so it's kind of crazy how this thing has gone, but we're going to savor it while we have it, though, because it's week seven. we got to savor it, and we're going to go ahead and actually pick up where we left off our discussion on Monday's pod when we talked about red zone efficiency. And this one, Michael, want to kind of take it more from a broader standpoint. And that's just offensive efficiency and scoring, why it's been down so much. I mean, all the numbers are right out there. I mean, teams last week in week six averaged 18.4 points per game. That's the lowest since week 15 of 2014. Obviously, red zone stuff, we talked about that and documented it thoroughly on Monday's pod. But from an overall standpoint, do you have any sort of theory as to why we're oh, seeing yeah. offensive inefficiency so far through six weeks? Yeah, because it's a copycat league. Because nobody wants to be the 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 conduit of change. Nobody wants to change. Everybody wants to keep doing what everybody else is doing. So we get a lot of these shitty one-back runs out of shotgun on third and one that doesn't mm. get converted. You know, and the defense knows it's coming, so they penetrate, and you're sitting at home on the couch going, Jesus Christ, what are we doing here? You know, and it, it's just, to me, there's no divergent thinking at all going on in the, in the, in the league. People are very concerned about doing what everybody else does. I think that's A. B, I think a lot of teams are protecting their quarterback. They're mm. trying to not <clears throat> let their quarterback hurt them. You know, and I think the perfect example of that was on Monday night when the Raiders played the Packers. Both head coaches were just trying to make sure their quarterbacks didn't screw it up. I mean, the Raiders have three turnovers. Have every, They've turned the ball over in every game, right? Yeah. So the three games they've lost, they've turned it over three times. The three games they've won, they've only turned it over once. So I think there's a lot of protection of the quarterback. But the protection of the quarterback is along the lines of we're doing what everybody else is doing. There's really nothing that's being done to to really divergently think about how can we change things. The only place that's doing that is in Miami. I mean, he's the only one really doing it. Now, he's got unique skills, so let's put that aside because <clears throat> uh, anybody that has Tyreek Hill. But what he's doing in Miami, I mean, when you look at the numbers in Miami and you see 
what he's doing, it isn't just about the skill, right? So I was going through this this morning, and when you look at it, I mean, Miami is so far. I mean, they're they're dominating in terms of yards per play yep. that it's not even close. So it's more than just the skill. And now everybody, how much time? How much have you noticed this this motion of the 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 Z moving out as opposed to moving across? I mean, like they're copying shit. It's a copycat league. And people are copying plays without understanding it. And I think that's a lot of the reason why the scoring's down. Do, would you attribute a lot of it to, like, a? it feels like a lot of teams and organizations, when they went and made head coaching changes or coordinator changes, they really wanted to pluck from, like, the Shanahan tree, like the McVay guys. Like, it feels like a lot of those guys are sprinkled all across the league. Do you think that's kind of factored into a little bit of why we're seeing a lot of the same offenses and now defenses? They said, hey, we just saw this last week. We know what to do. We know the rules. We know what we kind of have to yeah. go ahead and do to, to defend this kind of scheme. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. There's no question. I think it's so much a copycat league that nobody wants to try to anything new because when it fails, everybody you feel like I'm going to get fired. There's this sense of it happens in business all the time. You know, if you don't do what everybody else is doing, you can keep. If you do what everybody else is doing, you might be able to keep your job. If you try to be different, the chances of you being successful are probably slim. So let's just keep doing what everybody else is doing. And yeah. to me, you know, these one back runs out of shotgun are ridiculous. I think. <sighs> Look, Slovic in Houston's done a remarkable job, right? He's done a great job of of building that. They can't run the ball in Houston, which is shocking for a West Coast offense, but they've been very effective getting the throwing the football behind a bad offensive line. So, yeah, I, I just think to me there's just not enough of creating the situation or building the team around the strength of what you have. I don't think people are doing that as well. You know, I think certainly Detroit does that. And I think Sean McVay's proven that in Los Angeles. I mean, look, he doesn't have – I mean, everybody, oh, it's Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup. He, he, a lot of it is the scheme, too. And Strat, Stafford's been really good. I think we're seeing a lot of that. I think we're seeing a lot of guys that are, that are copying plays that aren't really running what they want to run. Yeah, if you're going to copy it, you better understand what goes into that play. Otherwise, like you mentioned, you talked about how like the players will ask you, okay, well, why didn't this work? If you don't have those answers, the guys are going to check out and be like, uh, what, what are we doing here? We don't really know what's going on. Right. We- you you got to zig when everybody else is zagging. Mm-hmm. Like you, you should be saying, okay, you know, I mean, if I had, if I were coaching like a Mac Jones, he would be under center 90%. I mean, I would never really, I mean, only on third down would I put him in shotgun because to me, he can't move. So when you put him in shotgun all the time, you've told the defense he's only going to be in one place, right? You have no lead back in the running game. So you take away that. You really don't have a bootleg game, which you need to have. I mean, Kyle does that with Purdy. I mean, I'm not saying you need to go down every road the same, but you need to have a little bit of mixing. I, I think, to me, some of these the shotgun one-back runs are just not good. People know it. They know the depth of the back. They can see it. They, they, they take chances in terms of, of, uh, of attacking it. And, you know, look, defenses catch up to you. I mean, defense can catch up to you. Where they haven't caught up to Miami. I mean, usually by the fifth or sixth game of a season when an offense is doing well, they start to slow down. This week will be a great test because mm-hmm. – what gives the kryptonite to Miami isn't another scheme. It's having guys that play inside like Daquan Jones did when they played Miami, when they played Buffalo and having speed at linebacker. That's what is going to give Miami trouble. Yeah, and it sounds like Jalen Carter will be back for the Philadelphia Eagles. Couple of him with Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis. They have a lot of interior defensive linemen. But we've talked about the shotgun thing, and I want to kind of pick it up there because the college game, it feels like these quarterbacks are in shotgun quite a bit. Are the NFL offenses adopting too much to what the college game is doing and trying to make their quarterbacks comfortable? Because it feels like a lot of these quarterbacks prefer to be in the gun to where things can be spread out and a little bit easier defined from what the defense is doing. Like, you think that's what's causing why we're seeing shotgun, shotgun, shotgun? I mean, like every team is just hanging out in the gun. It feels like every single game here. Yeah, and, but and then you take the guy who wasn't ever in the gun one play in college, right? Who, excuse me, was never under center in college. And looked absolutely disastrous under center in the preseason. Mm-hmm. And then you watch him play now under center, averaging seven, eight per attempt, you know, having a 96.4 yeah. quarterback rating. You say to yourself, okay. And this notion of, oh, well, you got to get good skill around you. Like, who is the good skill down in Houston? Nico Collins leads their team, 
with 29 receptions. He's averaging almost 19 yards a catch. Think about that, right? Robert Woods has got 22. He couldn't make a play last year for Tennessee. He's at 10-3 a catch. You know, so, like, I, I think to me, yeah, I think that, that there has to be a trend. Like I keep saying, when everybody is zigging and you zig, it gives the defense the advantage. It's that McDaniels quote that he said, like, if we do what the defense wants us to do, we're going to show down. And you have to be divergent in thought. I mean, you have to be. And so I just think people are scared for their jobs, and then they're not managing their team correctly. Like, I'll give you the perfect example, Washington, okay? Mm-hmm. Washington can't protect their quarterback, all right? They cannot protect their quarterback at all, right? And I know they stink on defense, right? But, it, but they're not that – they're like a lot of teams. They're 31st in rushing attempts. Excellent. 31st in rushing attempts. And their quarterback's getting sacked six times a game. How is that smart? Like, are you protecting your quarterback? Or let's take Atlanta, for example. Bijan Robinson has 80 carries for five yards a carry. Algier has 75 carries. He averages 3-2 a carry. Like, at what point do you say to yourself, okay, I'm done with Algier here. Bijan's the back. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, like Dominic, my six-year-old, I mean, he could sit there and say, okay, I, forget about Algier. I, I don't want to piss him off. I'll trade him because he's a good player, but I got to get the ball to Bijan. Like, to me, I, I think there's so much of we're going to run the system, we're going to do and we're not getting the ball to the people. Why do you think the red zone's bad? Why do you think the Raiders struggle in the red zone? They can't get the ball to the best player. You know, they, they try to throw a fade to the best player. It's five yards out of bounds. I mean, you know, why are the Chiefs so good in the red zone? Because they get the ball to their best players. I mean, that's to me is, is really what it comes down to. And I think to me, we're seeing that trend. And at some point as a coach – you got to sit there and say, okay, I got to get the ball more to this guy. I don't care that the defense knows it. I got to get it to him. And I don't, I think, and then I got to manage the strength of my team. If I can't protect the quarterback, maybe I need to run the ball. Maybe I need to run, maybe I need Sam Howe under center. I mean, they're trying to run the Patrick Mahomes offense with Sam Howe, and he's getting the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, he's on pace to be sacked more than David Carr was in 2002 with the Houston Texans in their inaugural season. Uh, Nate Tice at The Athletic, he put out some interesting numbers there on league average stats through six weeks. TD percentage is at its lowest since 2008. Yards per attempt at its lowest since 2008 as well. Yards per completion lowest ever at 10.6. Net yards per attempt lowest since 2005. Quarterback rating lowest since 2017. And then sack percentage, hint, hint, Sam Howell, highest since 1998. Like, like these quarterbacks. And, and, all the rules, and all the rules favor the defense. And yet we're seeing so the these offense. numbers. Yeah. yeah. And so that tells you there, there's a design problem. The design problem is calling the, causing the production problem. But nobody's willing to have balls and say, we're going to have to try to do Everybody's just trying to manage themselves from getting fired. <laughs> well, as they always say, it's the, it's the nail that sticks out that gets hammered. So everyone's just trying to blend in with the pack. And this is what we get offensively from a league-wide standpoint. Uh, my guess is that the schemes aren't going to change, and maybe the league will do something with the rules to help these offenses along the way. But I guess that might be more of an off-season conversation. Uh, speaking of quarterback play, we've had a number of injuries throughout this season, but we might have a guy that's coming back. We're talking the mayor next here on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Quarterback injuries are the story here in week seven in the National Football League with a number of games, and that's reflected into the betting markets as well. But we did get information, Michael, yesterday that the Arizona Cardinals are designating Kyler Murray to return to practice from the pup list. Head coach Jonathan Gannon announced that Wednesday to the media. Kyler Murray will now have a 21-day practice window to where either the Cardinals can activate him to the 53-man roster or decide to shut him down the rest of the year. And how about this recovery from the mayor here? Torres ACL last December, and it sounds like we might be seeing him sooner rather than later. I mean, I don't understand why they're doing it. They're going to get on the hook for the money. Uh, because if he gets injured, they cannot release him in the offseason if that's the way they choose to go. I mean, they're going to have a high draft pick. And so the question is, do they take Drake May or do they go down Kyler Murray and get out of the contract? I think it's a fair question to ask. I think it's a really fair question to ask. I'm not sure that they're taking a basketball approach to this. I mean, I think in the NBA they would. But – they have to let him kind of go through to see if he can get on the field. Today, I think they listed it as limited. So mm-hmm. how good he can be, we don't know. How fast he is, we don't know. I, I know they have to go through the procedure of it. But I think when you sit down and you analyze this long term, you got to compare him to what's going to be out there in the draft and where your position is in the draft. And do you want to build a team around this guy? Now, in fairness, maybe he's changed his personality. Maybe he's a different guy. I think $59 million can make you be different. But you better be sure of it. You better be damn sure of it. Well, so far they've said all the right things and sounding like they are sure of it. But, I mean, we know teams say something, then they can do another. Uh, Jonathan Gannon has been saying, hey, Kyler Murray is our guy. That's our quarterback and all that stuff. And I guess now they're going to go ahead and see this. Because, I mean, if they wanted to, they could play him this week. Now, I don't think he's going to play this week. In fact, he's not going to play. They already said that it's going to be Josh Dobbs at quarterback. But three weeks from now, Let's say that he's back out there and that they have half the season. Is that more of the evaluation process to whether they want to make Kyler Murray the franchise quarterback? Or is it just, all right, let's play this out. Hopefully he plays well. Then maybe we can move on at the end of the season. Like, How do you see this kind of playing out by season's end here with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals? Well, they still have the option. If they still have the option to not guarantee it for skill and injury if, if they play him. My, my reason for not playing him is why risk the injury. He's protected next year for injury. He's not protected for skill until the, until the league year begins. So for me, as an executive, why would you do that? Why would you risk that where he's now in control and you're no longer in control? Especially if you're talking about bringing him back inside of a year of his ACL repair and a quarterback that really needs to move. Mm-hmm around the pocket, and use his athleticism to make plays. One thing we have learned over his career is that he's not a pocket passer, right? We know this. He's not a pocket passer. He's not good from the pocket. He can't see. He struggles. when he's. But when he's out there in space and he can make throws, okay, we got it. We got that. You know, when he's running beat-beat plays, good. You know, we could do those things. But – to me, I, I think you got to be really careful about what's the liability you're willing to take on. What is the liability you're willing to take on? So I think, I think that's an issue. And, uh, you know, you've got it. And then the character, the character of, of what is this what you want your team? Because I keep saying this all the time. Whoever's your quarterback, that's your personality of your team. Your, your team generates its competitive spirit, its toughness from the quarterback. It has to. Now, some teams like the Ravens did it through Ray Lewis and some other teams have done this, but it's kind of hard when your quarterback's not a type A personality or the team resonates to him. So I think that's something Monty Ossendorf and, and Gannon, they've got to consider. Because if they go down this road, 
They're attached to him. I think Michael Bidwell, the owner, wants this to happen, obviously. But are we sure it's the right decision, especially when you look at, okay, what's the alternative? The alternative is a lot of uh, quarterbacks that people are excited about in college football. But from a football standpoint and the scheme-wise with the Cardinals, do you think that Kyler Murray is a good fit with Drew Petzig and what you've seen from this Cardinals offense so far through six weeks? Like, Do you think that, that he would be able to fit into what they're doing right now with Dobbs? Well, I mean, Dobbs has been pretty good, right? You know, and when we look at when we look at what he's done, right? When you look at when you look at the 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 play types where you know he's best at functioning, it's really in a play action scheme. I mean, the year he played well in 2020, you know, they ran 200. They 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 were a play action team, the most they've ever been, and that's where he achieved most of his success. So he needs that. He needs to have that kind of capability to be in that play action scheme so that he can the defense can be separated so why he can see you know that he can see down the field look the one thing the guy has always been is accuracy you know he's always been last year he was under 12% in terms of bad throws that's really good it's really good you know and that came from the beginning of his career where he was at 18% so he's done a good job of improving his accuracy but he's never going to improve his ability to play from the pocket because he can't see. Yeah, he's an interesting player, wildly talented, uh, but things haven't really gone how they've wanted to since they've signed that extension. We'll see what happens in a few weeks, whether he's activated to the 53-man roster, where the Cardinals are at. Right now they're an eight-point underdog on the road to Seattle this weekend, so the market thinks that they're going to lose another game. We'll see what happens once Kyler Murray takes over, which seems to be sooner rather than later. Uh, another quarterback that is a, a movement skill guy, you talked about these guys that are in the draft that are coming up here next season. How about Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback? We don't talk a whole lot of college football here on this podcast here, but this but is dumb. interesting as it pertains to the NFL. Uh, our old buddy Mike Florio over at Pro Football Talk uh, reported that Caleb Williams wants partial ownership from an NFL team that will select him in the 2024 draft. Now, who knows if this is true or not, but Florio went out there and put that out there. Uh, is that even possible for a prospect to get partial ownership? Like it, seem, it seems real outlandish to me, at least on the surface. As the great Uncle Junior once said, I want to fuck Angie Dickinson. Let's see who gets lucky first. Like, seriously. Right? Like, seriously. <laughs> like, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, I don't even know how it's a story. Frankly, it's so ridiculous, I'm not even sure the kid said it. Exactly. Like, I, I, I think it's so, like, I can't, I mean, I would love to rip the kid for saying it or thinking it, uh -huh. but I can't believe, it's so bizarre and ridiculous, I can't even imagine he would. You know? Uh, I'm at, oh, sure. You've never played in the league, and we're going to give you a percentage of a $6 billion franchise. Right. Meanwhile, there's Michael Penix, who might be better than you. There's Drake May, who might be better than you. There's other guys who might be better than you. I mean, have you seen the numbers of him against top flight defenses? Didn't look good on Saturday against Notre Dame. I mean, have you seen the numbers? You know, it's like, are we, are we getting a little bit too much in love with ourselves? I think we are. I think it's <laughs> such a ridiculous story, it's hard to comment on it. Yeah. Like it's really hard to comment on it. It's like you can't be serious. Like, like you know, like no owner, like you, Tom Brady didn't get percentage of it. He won six Super Bowls, seven, seven. Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like six in New England. I mean, like, come on, come on, stop. Partial it's ownership so bad. Plus, <laughs> plus, you know, we didn't even go down the logistics of a. It's not legal. B. It, it affects the cap. Mm -hmm. It affects the cap. Like, that's how stupid this is. Like, it affects yeah. the cap. Like, okay, I'm going to give you 1% of the team. All right, well, then you have no cap left. Because say the cap's $200 million, right? Mm -hmm. Or $300 million. 1% of $5 billion is what? Exactly. $500 million? Like, seriously, this is how stupid it is. It's, when I saw the headline, I just shook my head. And this, to me, it feels like a... Somebody told somebody it told somebody told somebody. It's got to be a made-up story for that's, clicks, right? That, that's what it feels like to me. It, it, it feels like this is a game of telephone to where maybe he said, oh, my aspiration. He told somebody that his aspiration would be to own an NFL team. Then somebody told somebody, then told somebody. Then, then all of a sudden it got translated and fixed into, oh, he wants to own a team and wants partial ownership. Like That's what it feels like to me. It feels like a game of telephone yeah. that went wrong. And all of a sudden now we have this quote-unquote report uh, about Caleb Williams wanting ownership here as a rookie heading into next NFL season. I mean, it's, it's just too ridiculous to even comment on like you mentioned but i thought i'd bring it up because it's it's funny um one thing that's not funny though is uh our buddy elliot his quarterback anthony richardson 
done for the season. Yeah. Uh, Jim Mercer said Bad. at the NFL owners meeting earlier this week that he will undergo season-ending shoulder surgery, which I think yep. is just an absolute bummer for this guy, not just for Colts fans, but as football fans. And it's devastating for his development, missing pretty much a, a large chunk of his rookie season. Well, part of the reason to come out early was, you know, he got drafted early, which was great for him. I thought he would have got drafted higher had he stayed, but it didn't really matter if he stayed in school or not. He got drafted kind of as high as he could. But, you know, when you look at his career, you know, he plays and, you know, he plays four games, you know, and, and I mean, he's active for four games or he's not, no, he really only starts two games and he throws 84 passes all year. So, you know, that red shirt year that you thought he wasn't, I mean, you know, you thought, okay, I got a chance. And look, we knew he wasn't going to be accurate. In those two games he played, 24.1% of the throws were bad. You know, now he had some good throws. 674% he was on target, which is a good number. So, like, he, he actually looked like he was making progress from Florida to the summer to now. But I think, I think a lot of this is, too, we tend to think these kids that come in the NFL, their bodies, even though they look incredible, that they're ready to play in the NFL. I, I think what I would do is in his locker, I would show him a picture of what Michael Jordan looked like as a rookie and then what Michael Jordan looked like a three-year vet and challenge him to do that, that because he's going to have to get more resiliency. He's going to have to get more, uh, I don't know if strong's the right word, but he's going to have to get more ability to take some of the hits because, <clears throat> look, he got hurt. It's fair. The, the hits didn't seem like they were like, oh, my God. You know, you felt like he was going to get up. It's a little bit like he's – it seemed brittle to me. Like Garoppolo gets hit and, you know, oh, my God, he's not going to get up. He seems very brittle, right? Mm. So I think that's the case. <laughs> Our producer, Elliot, just sent me this tweet. Uh, this is from Jory Epstein, who I believe now works over at Yahoo Sports. And this is a Jim Ursay quote. It's, uh, he's kind of quoting John Lando about Bruce Springsteen back in 1974, saying, I've seen the future of rock and roll, and his name is Bruce Springsteen. Well, I've seen the future of the NFL, and his name is Anthony Richardson, and I believe it. I love that? it. I love that? it. <laughs> I love it. It all goes back to Springsteen at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, I've seen the future of rock. That guy, he saw him at, up at Harvard, and, and now he's his manager, and he's been his lifelong friend. Not only did he see the future of rock and roll, he saw the future of his life, too. <laughs> well, and Ursay said he's Which seen Which is the fascinating, too, because Br- Springsteen made him his manager, and they asked him, how did, you be- how did he become your manager? He had no business experience. He said, well, what he had was, he had, I could trust him, and that was more important than having experience. Great yeah, line. That, that is a great line. Uh, we will talk some 3-3 three and three teams that are heading into the bye right now, which one's for real, which ones are not, here on the GM Shuffle. You know, in sports, when we talk about the 500 club, it usually means home runs in Major League Baseball. Well, in the NFL, uh, it's not as prestigious. These are the teams sitting at 500, eight of them so far through six weeks. And wanted to kind of get a feel about how we kind of assess these teams, whether they're good, whether they're bad, what to expect going forward. And I want to start, Michael, with the Cincinnati Bengals. Super Bowl expectations in the offseason, Super Bowl expectations to start the season, but they've gotten off to a rough start. Surprise, surprise, the Bengals get off to a little bit of a slow yeah. start. Uh, at 3-3, three and three, do you feel like this year is kind of on par with what we've seen over the past couple of years, or is there stuff to actually be concerned about with this year's Cincinnati Bengals team versus the last couple? Well, I mean, here's the problem with this year's team. They can't run the ball. I mean, they really can't. Mixon's under three yards, three, uh, four yards of carry. They miss Perrine in, the, in, in his role. So they really can't run the ball. And they can't stop teams from running. Now, they've won three games, and Burroughs basically played, you know, of the six, he played four and a half of them on one leg. So we know he's going to get better. He's finally he's up to 5.3 yards per attempt, which is well below where he needs to be, but mm-hmm. it's slowly getting better. You know, and they haven't had Higgins for a lot of these games. I mean, Higgins is under 11 yards a catch, which is typically not good. They've been horrible on third down. They're 33% on third down. So everything's got to come back and come around for them. You're concerned about them defensively, but I thought last week they played well in the red zone, which was critical. 
and they were able to control the ball. But the offense hasn't clicked. You talk about stale offenses. I think this qualifies as a stale offense. They've been doing the same thing over and over again, and their offensive line isn't as good as it needs to be, even though they put money into it. And they people kind of have a way of defending them, and without a great back. Remember, the spread makes the the spread makes the 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 the, the back makes the spread. And Mixon, you know, his longest run of the year, Femi, is 22 yards. I mean, he hasn't made an explosive play. He hasn't been dynamic as ATN has been for Jacksonville, let's say. When I look at the standings, though, with all that said, Cincinnati is still a game back. Now, it's a game and a half since they lost that home game to the Baltimore Ravens, who are currently in first place in the AFC North. Their current numbers over at DraftKings, plus 140 to make the playoffs, 4-1 to one to win the division, an adjusted season win total of 8.5. And, a half. and uh, just because it's fun, 25-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. They still have a Super Bowl-caliber quarterback in Joe Burrow, a guy who I would not want to bet against come January. If they get there, like, is this a team that you think can eventually get out of this rut and correct those problems that they have and get back to what we thought they were going to be prior to the start of the season? Yeah. I mean, I just don't know if they're there. I have my doubts. I wouldn't, I would not go against them, Mm -hmm. but I have my doubts of the three and three teams, the eight, three and three teams. I kind of like them the best of anybody, to be honest with you. Mm. I mean, I would like the Rams probably the most, only, but I have serious doubts they can stay healthy. I mean, Stafford's been sensational. McVay's yeah. been sensational. I think Raheem Morris has been sensational playing with guys you don't even know who they are. But they're on that teetering line, right? You just don't know can they do it. You know, when you look at the other teams, I don't see much hope for the other team. Maybe I think Houston, because of the South, the way they're playing, they dominated Jacksonville and Jacksonville. The quarterback's playing good. They continue to get better defensively. They can be there. Look, the thing about Houston you have to like about them is they're good in three phases, right? They're not great. They're good in three phases. They're really good in the kicking game. They're really good in the kicking game. They cover well. They score points. They control field position in the kicking game. I mean, they had the best special teams last year in the ratings rankings last year, and they've done it again this year. And if they can run the football more effectively, they're at 3.2 yards per carry. I mean, that's not very good, but they're great on third down. They're really good on third down. They're 44% on third down. The quarterback has covered up for the sins of their team, which is what all great quarterbacks do. So give them credit. And so to me, I don't think you could ignore them. They're a good team. They're a good team. Whereas I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying the Jets. Everybody will. I'm not buying the Jets. Mm. We're still going to see Zach Wilson have to play. You know, the commanders. What was that line you told me when we were talking about the scheme? That Eric Bieniemy said Andy Reid would be proud of him after calling 55 <laughs> passes in a row. Yeah. Like, at, like, like, at what point did you, did you see your quarterback get killed? Apparently not. Like, are you, is anybody watching the games? Is anybody watching the games? In Washington, huh? I think I think it's debatable. In Washington, I think that based on what we've oh, seen, I, I, I think you know. Look, if I I I I don't know what I'll do tomorrow on Russo, but. I want to take the Giants. The line's almost at three now. I don't see how Washington can be a three-point favor over anybody, including the Giants with all their injuries, because they're so disorganized in terms of how they win games. Rivera's a favorite. You know, the quarterback gets the crap beat out of them. Don Martindale, Blitz, and Sam Howe. I mean, it's a recipe for a disaster. The thing that holds me back is if Tyrod gets hurt, we might be looking at a Tommy DeVito game. And that that even Washington can overcome that situation is dire for for our friends over at Big Blue there. Uh, but I do want to go back to the Houston Texans though, because the Colts are one of these three and three teams. But after what we saw last week and what we've kind of seen over the course of his career, Gardner Minshew, the more he plays, yeah, I got some numbers for gets. you on that. <laughs> you got some numbers on on, on the Colts. I, I worked on that this morning. I got some numbers Uh-oh. on my man Gardner. Uh-oh. You know, uh, and I think to me. Gardner's a great reliever. Bring him in yep. off the bench. Get the cough card out with the helmet on it. You know, let him come in, warm up, <laughs> cough twice, and start throwing junk. You know, but when he has to play and he's the starter, he's two and eleven straight up in his last thirteen starts. Yeah. Okay. He broke a streak of eight consecutive losses as a dog against the Ravens earlier this year. He's two and ten against the spread in his last twelve starts. You know. Now I know everybody's on the Colts this week. All the all the public, all the professional betters, we call them sharps. People that do it for a living, right? Because that's really what the difference is. Everybody's sharp, right? 
It's just some people do it for a living, some people do it for a hobby. <laughs> yeah. That's really the only difference, right? And so the people that are doing it for a living really like the Colts. I don't know how you can like the Colts. I got talked into the Colts last week. I, I made that mistake because I was con figuring out that London trip, returning all that stuff. I ain't buying that. And maybe they do come back. I mean, but now he's going against an elite, elite defense that has only given up, you know, I mean, they've given up like, what is it? I have it. A thousand yards Uh, through five games. Yeah, but forget about that. I mean, they don't give up any yards passing. I mean, the the most yards passing in a game was against Pittsburgh. They gave up 274, 71 came on one play. I mean, they don't even give up first downs. I mean, you can't give up first downs against them. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, so you think Minshew, when Schwartz attacks him inside, plays tight man coverage, takes away the run. You can't run the ball on the, on the Brownies anyway. Takes away the run. Like, this is a challenge. Yeah, it's a big challenge. And I think that we're going to see that challenge for the Colts the rest of the season here where I think it's interesting to where, based on where Tennessee is at, right, sounds like Ryan Tannehill messed up his ankle once again here. We're going to either see Willis or maybe Levis outside of the bye. If you're Houston, your main competitor you and your only competitor feels like it's just Jacksonville, who their quarterback right. is hurt right now. We'll see if he plays and tonight. And half their team's hurt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, tonight half their team's hurt. I mean, they got a bunch of guys hurt tonight. So, I, I mean, Houston's – look, again, Houston's not great. Their, their quarterback's playing great. They're good on offense. They're really good in the kicking game, and they can rush the passer. They had no business beating New Orleans last week. But they did, and there's been so many times in Houston in the last two years where they've gotten 50 minutes of playing good football and they die in the last 10. This hasn't happened this year. What about the Las Vegas Raiders, who right now sit at 3-3? Three and three. This week they will be taking on Tyson Bajent and the Chicago Bears over at Soldier Field. And when I take a look at their schedule, it's kind of manageable. And I don't think too many people are thinking about the Raiders as a potential playoff team, but... It wouldn't shock me if they're in the mix come December because after this Bears game, the market thinks they're going to win the game. So let's say that they win the game. Uh, they're at the Lions, obviously a difficult game there. But you have two home games against the Giants and the Jets. Have to go to Miami and play Kansas City at home. But then you get the Vikings at home, the Chargers at home. We've seen the Chargers. They could lose to anybody. Like, like The way they end the season, Week 17 at the Colts, who knows what Minshew is at that point. And then you end it with Denver in Week 18. Like, Call me crazy. Like, there could be nine, 10 wins here on this Raiders schedule. Look, and they haven't played well yet. I mean, they've gotten better defensively. They really have. I mean, I know they played against New New England last week, but they have improved defensively. Uh, They got Crosby, who changes the game clearly. Unbelievable. Uh, And and offensively, they haven't played well. I don't know who's going to play quarterback this week if Garoppolo doesn't, whether they go to O'Connell or they stay with Hoyer. I think kind of the situation is you know Chicago's going to have a backup quarterback. Do you want a, a rookie quarterback? Like, do you want to have a game where you have two rookie quarterbacks? I don't know about that. I think you got to think about that one for a while. Mm. So with that being said, you know, look, the, the, the problem with the Raiders are they haven't really played well. I mean, Josh, the, the strength of their team is Josh Jacobs running the football. The strength of their team is Devontae Adams making plays. And they've won three games, and really in those three wins, that the, neither one of those two players have dominated. If they get that going, if they can run the football like they did last year, then they have a chance to win. Like they got to go into Chicago, which when you look at Chicago now, I mean, Chicago's played better in the last few weeks on defense, right? Mm-hmm. They really have. And, you know, the Raiders haven't had a 100-yard rushing game all season. Think about that. And they haven't played mistake-free football all year. This is the two worst red zone football teams in the league. So we know it's going to be a close game. They could win. They, you know, it's a three-point game. But these are the game we're waiting for the Raiders to play better with their best players. Yeah. That's the key. And, and we've heard Devontae Adams voice that frustration. Like, he, he's been talking about, hey, like, it's like I, I want to be active in this offense. It's a little bit frustrating and all that stuff, despite the winning that they've had over the last couple of weeks. And they, they should get the ball to Devontae Adams. You're paying him all that money. He's one of the five best receivers in football. Getting him yeah. the ball helps you win games. So I think that that should yeah. be a, a, a priority number one uh, with this preparation for the Las Vegas Raiders is getting Devontae Adams the football and figuring out how to get the run game going with Josh Jacobs. But the defense, though, you mentioned – the defense has surprised me a little. I mean, Max Crosby, that dude, the it probably has the best motor in the league. We see a lot of these defensive linemen get subbed out, rotated, yeah. this and that. That dude never comes off the field, and he closes yeah, games no, out. He is unbelievable. He, he needed to close that one out against New England. I mean, he caught, almost cost him the game, and then he closed it out. Yeah, it's hard to block. 
He's hard to block, and he plays relentlessly. I think, you know, the Wilson, the kid they drafted in the first round, he started out really slow, couldn't get off the ball. I think he's starting to play a little bit better. They need him to take a giant mother may I step forward mm. to help their defense. But, look, I, I think the one thing I think you got to look – did you listen to Crosby on, on McAfee the other day? I didn't catch like, it, no. Like, you could – you could sense the team, A, they they believe in it. You know, they kind of believe in themselves. They they like each other. Look, Adams is right to complain, there's no doubt. But I don't think there's hostility within the building like there is outside everybody thinks there is. You could just listen to Crosby's interview and see that. Yeah, three and three with a chance to go to four and three by the end of the weekend. But of these three and three teams, I'm with you. Cincinnati's the one that I would back if I had to back one of them. We'll get to the week seven slate on the other side here on the GM Show. All right, let's get to the week seven slate here. Six teams on by, so only uh, 13 games on the card this week. Uh, interesting, though, once again, the weather. Mother Nature is playing a factor mm-hmm. on an NFL Sunday. We're expecting some wins. I believe Foxborough in New England, they're supposed to get some pretty big wins. It sounds like the Northeast and the East Coast in general will be hit with, uh, with a lot of wind, which yeah. uh, is going to help out with these defenses. we got a coastal storm coming. We got a coastal storm coming. That's going to be really. A, it's going to. It's going to affect Baltimore. It, it's going to affect the Philadelphia area, which is going to be an interesting because of, you know, we all know that wind and perhaps Tua might struggle. It's going to affect Meadowlands, the Commanders. There's 16 mile an hour winds there. Ravens game. It's 16 mile an hour winds. The New England game. It's under 15, but it'll affect it. And then, and then you look at the the night game. You know, as the wind go as it goes down, that's that's right now. They say it's somewhere around eleven mile an hour, but it could get. You know, it's going to pick up. So, I think you got to put that into your handicap. And when you're breaking these games down, obviously the under's been hitting at a, at a high rate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to look at that. Well, let's start off with that Sunday night football game. Dolphins and the Eagles. Maybe it's a Super Bowl preview here. A lot of people like both of these teams. Uh, both of them at one loss. Philadelphia coming off of the loss of the Jets last Sunday. And the Eagles right now, two and a half point favorites. Total is at 51 and a half. A lot of injuries on the Philadelphia side. Uh, yeah. Sounds like Jalen Carter and Darius Slay will be back. But Lane Johnson, their tackle, who we outlined how valuable he is on Monday's pod. He is questionable. Didn't practice on Wednesday. We'll see what he does here on Thursday. Also, the Reed Blankenship, their safety. He's banged up a little bit here. So uh, how do you see this kind of breaking down here, the Dolphins and the Eagles at the link? Well, you know, last year Vic Fangio was a consultant for the Eagles in a lot of different areas. He was helping the offensive staff prepare for the defensive team they were getting ready to play. So if anybody really knows this Eagle offense and the strengths, weaknesses, and what creates problems, Vic can. Now, does he have enough players to do it? I don't know that. I really don't. But what we do know about Philly so far this year is, you know, their offensive line is beat up right now, especially the right side. And when Hertz is under pressure, which typically he's never, but Next Gen had this great stat. They said Hertz is three and seven straight up uh, when he has a pressure rate of 40% or higher. And that's significant, right? So when he's under pressure, you know, that's going to be a problem. And I think that they could put pressure on him. There's no question about that. And when you look at without Lane Johnson, the record without Lane Johnson, we've talked about it, that makes it very challenging. And then when you look at Tua, you're dealing with wind. Philly's really good inside. The strength of Philly's defense is their front, right? They're really good inside. And we know that Buffalo created problems against Miami by being good inside. Milano and Daquan were the stars of that game. And then Buffalo was able to match them point for point and got ahead and made Miami have to play catch-up. So, you know, I, I think that the Philly, there's a formula to play Miami, and Philly has the front to play Miami the right way. So you, you got to take that into consideration. The line has moved. It was It's moved towards Philly, and I think it may end up closing it. It opened at three and immediately got bought down to two by the professional betters, let's call them. And then it moved to one and a half. And now it's gone back up to two and a half, and it may probably close on Sunday at three. So, you know, this is a back-and-forth game. I think a lot of it is going to come down to who's playing for Philly. Miami's offensive line, forget who's playing for them. They hide them, so it doesn't really matter. But I think without uh, without Achun, the running back, 
you know, I think that does affect the Miami offense even a little bit more. So wind and Philly front makes me lean towards Philly. Well, uh, credit Raheem Mostert, though. I mean, the guy's on pace for like, I mean, what, 30 touchdowns or something like that? He's been ridiculous yeah. so far, what he's been doing. Uh, well, I mean, the, look, the schemes been really uh, Femi, good. The, the, the Miami's unbelievable. They have 15 touchdowns rushing and 15 touchdown passing. <laughs> it's crazy. Think about that. It's a hell of an offense, and I can't wait to see this game. We're going to get the Kelly Greens from the Eagles out there on Love Sunday it. Night Football. That's going to be a Love lot of it. fun to see there. Uh, a little throwback to a, to a little bit of 1990s uh, NFL action, so I can't wait to see this one Sunday Night Football. Uh, I would lean towards the Eagles winning this game as well. I'm right there with you. I think Philadelphia gets right after the loss last week to the Jets. How about, though, in Baltimore? This game, cannot yeah. wait to watch this one. Detroit Lions on the road. Three-point underdogs against the Baltimore Ravens who have returned from overseas. And I think we're getting a lot of, uh, they say, two-way action in the betting world here. A little bit of two-way action here with interest on both sides. Uh, where's your interest lie, though, in the, in the Lions and the Ravens? It, it hasn't moved. It's been three all week, right? But to me, one of the numbers that I came up with that I looked at this week is, you know, well, first of all, when you look at the Lions against quarterbacks that can move around, and I know we're going back to last year, but they gave up 254 yards rushing to the Bears and Fields in the first game. They gave up 164 to Buffalo in the second game, and they were playing better defense around this time. Remember, it was a Thanksgiving Day game. And then to Allen, and then they gave up another 200 yards late in the year when they were playing better on defense. Uh, you know, and so they've had trouble with that. You know, and they've had trouble stopping quarterbacks that run around and do all that movement. And, and I think it's, you know, that's one of the areas where, but when you look at Lamar, right? When you look at Lamar, he has the lowest percentage of bad throws in his career so far this year at 14.8. Now he's had nine drops, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really hurt him, but he's throwing the ball better than he ever has. Now they're not running it as well, but he's throwing the ball as well as he had. And this, both teams, you know, this Raven team is really good in the red zone. They're second-best red zone team. They're the ninth-best red zone team. And as bad as they are last week, they were. So, for me, I think this is a field goal game. You always take, you always take Tucker in a field goal game. But Goff has played well. They didn't run the ball last week and still were able to win. And Goff is amazingly 80.9% accurate on target. Mm. And this year he's had 13 drops already. So you t we talk about Lamar having drops. I mean, Goff's had them too. So, you know, and both teams need to play from in front. The Lions have outscored their opponent 99 to 40 in the first half. That's why they're so good. So I, I think it's a nip and tuck game. I could see people wanting to take the Lions and the points. I do think it's a three point game. I kind of think Baltimore will probably prevail, but it's going to be a tough one, and win's going to be the factor. Yeah, you talk a lot about the the professional betters. I think a lot of them are looking to sell high on the Lions this week here and and back the Ravens. But there's a lot of interesting nuggets that point to Detroit being the side here in this game. I can't wait to watch it. There's no bet for me in this let, game, but I can't wait to watch it. Let me give them. you the one nugget that might point you back to Baltimore. Lamar Jackson has faced the NFC in 16 games. He's 15 and 1 straight up, but he's only 7 and 9 against the spread. Yeah. Well, Maybe it's Ravens' money line <laughs> instead of Ravens laying the three. Also, interesting enough, though, with the Detroit Lions, and we've sung their praises, the quarterbacks that they've faced over the last month have not been the most stellar. It's been Desmond no. Ritter, it's been Jordan Love, it's been Bryce Young, and it's been Baker Mayfield. Lamar's a little bit different than those guys. And the last guy that they, the last offense that they faced that was pretty good was the Seattle Seahawks, and they lost that one 37 31 at home. Yeah, and, and, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because when I was going through my notes this morning, like, you know, we're looking at Geno, right? How has Geno played this year? And, you know, where is Geno as it relates to last year? And, you know, he has not been the same. I mean, he hasn't mm -hmm. been able to play uh, in terms of his accuracy, in terms of his ability. Like, he hasn't been the same player that he was last year. His numbers are down from where they were, but he still played good against the Lions. I think this is going to be the interesting thing is it, we don't, how good are the Lions in their secondary? We're going to find out on Sunday. Let's get over to Kansas City, where we'll see the Chargers and the Chiefs. Kansas City, a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Total is at 48. This game seems like it's always close whenever these two teams play, but after what we saw Monday night with the Chargers, I mean, my goodness. Like, like this, If you could screw up a game from a situational standpoint anymore, I'm not sure you could. Like it, it yeah. it's, it's pretty bad with what they do, man. <laughs> yeah, well, but look, I mean, you know, when you go over it, right, when you go over the games – 
they're all close. I mean, the yeah. Chiefs won an overtime game by six, right? You know, Herbert's Herbert's. This will be a seventh game against the Chiefs, right? And you know, and 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 they've been five and one against the spread in those games. You know, and and there no more than six points has determined the outcome of any of these games. So they're really good, you know. And I think they know they can go into Kansas City and one. They've won in Kansas City before. But when you're if you're the Chargers and you're getting points, especially over a field goal, it's probably a good play. I mean, because you know Staley's six and nine in in uh, in those games. Interesting thing though. You know, we, we talk about the Kellen Moore. And don't say a bad word. He's the best offensive coordinator in all of football. Yeah, we saw that Monday you night. You know, yeah, you, you heard it all Monday night. I mean, brilliant. What I find interesting, as bad as they are on defense and with a defensive head coach, from last year to this year, they control the ball less offensively than they did last year. They're playing more defense this year than they did last year. Now, there's some numbers they're better. Obviously, they're a little better on third. Yards per play, they're better. But in terms of passing yards – they were 259, uh, you know, and they're, they were 259 last, uh, last year and held the ball. Uh, excuse me, they were 269 last year and held the ball for 30 minutes. This year they're 259 and hold the ball 28 minutes. So they're, they're not getting as many yards, and they can't really run the ball. So, again, this is, goes back to I'm not an anti-Kellen Morgan. I'm an anti-how do you play the game? How do you set your team up to win and pace the game to help three elements of your team? When, I, when I'm attacking Moore, I'm not attacking him because I don't think he knows what he's doing. I don't think he understands how to win the game, sometimes how to win the game as a play caller. right? And that's the job of the head coach, right? The offense coordinator's job is to get first downs and to get points. The head coach has got to, hey, we got to pace this game. Here's the way we have to play the game to win the game. And if nobody's telling Moore that, which clearly it wasn't the case in Dallas and it's not the case at the Chargers, he's just going to keep doing what he does. Yeah, but- Maybe they'll rack up some more yards. I do think that that Mike Williams loss, we talked about it when he went down for the year. That has been a big loss for that team because Quentin Johnson, their first-round pick, they really haven't gotten much out of him. It's been disappointing so far. He's still a rookie, still has time to get better, but it's been disappointing through the first six weeks of the season. I mean, but this is a game they should play good. I mean, Kansas City's not an explosive offense. I mean, Mahomes had 15 drops already. Now I know they traded for Hardeman, which I thought they would do. But, you know, to me, he's had the ball dropped a lot on him. They can't be explosive. Derwin James does a really good job of guarding uh, Travis Kelsey. So you take him out. I don't think Hardeman's going to play. Like, this should be a low-scoring game. And whenever the Chargers hold teams, when their defense plays good, they usually win. When when their defense doesn't and they get in these shootouts, they don't. Yeah, well, the total's been getting bet to the under. Open 52, now sitting as low as 47 and a half. So uh, it'll be a fun game out at Arrowhead Stadium. It's always competitive when those two teams play. It's just I'm going to need a little bit more time to think before I can get and, and back this Chargers squad after what we saw Monday Night Football. Uh, that does it for us here on the podcast. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. As always, thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Michael, enjoy the football weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday where we will break it all down and have fun there matching up with Al Michaels' tie tonight on Thursday Night Football. That'll be a good one, uh, Saints and the Jaguars. But we'll talk to you guys on Monday.